Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome back to Moments That Rock. My name's Terry Michaelidis. This is Moments That Rock, obviously, and we're part of the Pantheon group of podcasts. A few weeks ago, we had a lady by the name of Debs Wild. She's the lady who discovered Coldplay, and we had some great stories. Today, we're going to go back and hear some more stories about her and discovering other music and what she's up to now, and some great little anecdotes. So, over to you, Mum. They've evolved in every area, but they still remain the same people. Yeah, absolutely. Every night before they go on stage, I know many artists do this where they have a pre-show huddle. And I've been in it a few times, but they were just kind of, you know, Chris does a little pep talk and it's thanking us for being there from day one and whatever you saw in us and thank you for still being along. Anyway, I was with um, Johnny, the guitarist, and Will, the drummer, uh, about a month ago. And we were just chatting about remembering, you know, Fun, fun stuff that we were thinking of because when they did the last show of the last UK leg last year in Glasgow, we there was uh, Chris, Donny, Will, me, Simon Williams, Ken Nelson, who produced the first album, had gone by this point, which is a shame. And we just literally stood there after the show talking about, gosh, do you remember this? And do you remember that? And how is it so long ago? And, and all the things that have happened. But yeah, we we've had lots of, We've had lots of those moments. We were once waiting for Chris. Um, we were going to do a show in Paris. And while we were waiting, I was showing this guy, Dav, who does strings on Viva and on countless other things. And I went, oh, the, here's a picture of me and the boys from like 1999 in Manchester at the Roadhouse. I'd driven up uh, to see them play there because of the spiritual home and that. And I looked teeny tiny with short cropped hair and they looked really messy and students and tall. And we were all looking at it and we were passing it around and I was like, oh, ha, ha, ha. And then Chris arrived and they went, oh, show Chris that picture. So I showed him and he literally just stared at this picture 
ages and I don't know what was going on in his head but clearly he just had a throwback and it was like wow and then later on at the show I was at the sound check and he was singing songs to me which I, I love sound checks because I, I actually love the process of it I love the just being the only person in the room like I've literally been in a st an empty stadium where Chris has gone oh look devs this is just like it was when you first saw us but a bit bigger <laughs> it's just like the same amount of people it's like won't be later um but yeah this picture clearly clicked and then later on he did a, a another little speech because yeah I think he he always you know remembers those things fondly and they're they're all very grateful and they make me feel very important in that you know cog in the in the wheel stuff and yeah at the same time it's like really I mean for me it's it still would have happened but I, well, I get it and nice. I and I take it on board it's lovely but I'm still like it's not me I didn't write this song it's one thing to be nostalgic and drift back to a time and a place, whether it's with a relationship or professional or whatever or anything like that. But the one word that sticks out from what you just said then, Debs, is appreciation. Yeah, and just a few weeks ago, Will, we were we were having like drinks and it was sociable little off moment, and and there was somebody there who'd never met me before, and he was doing. Oh, by the way, you know this, what Debs's story is, don't you? She discovered us, and she said, "Yeah, yeah, I heard." And then he literally just went, Debs, if we don't say it often enough, and we probably don't, we are so grateful. And I was just like, oh, thank you. I said, you do actually say it, and it's lovely. But it is very nice to feel like, you know, 25 years later. And, yeah, sometimes if I'm asked what I think of things or, you know, I'm still part of the team, you know, I do lots of different different things on a daily daily basis are part of that team and it's a privilege and that I honestly it's not imposter syndrome but going on to what you said about it's not being starstruck but the wow and I do pinch myself in the in the show I give myself one song where I give myself a pat on the back but the rest of the time I'm just there going this is amazing but there was definitely a moment where I thought for a long time maybe they just give me a job because they're trying to pay me back gratitude you know and then thought Hang on, no, I am actually quite good and useful at what I do. But it took me a long time to settle in that, oh, they're just, oh, we'll give Debs a job. But sometimes you have to step up to the table and think, well, I'm proud of myself, you know, and give yourself, like you say, a pat on the back and things. Yeah. But listen, they don't have to say it. They don't They don't need you. And I don't yeah, mean that in a disrespectful way. Oh, no, way. I know. They'll I'm be very fine. dispensable. They'll be fine without <laughs> Debs well. They'll probably be fine yeah. without anybody. And some people think that. They think, oh, I don't yeah. know. And they walk away and they do their own thing and then, whoa, you know, because I'm a great believer in the greatest success stories, certainly that have surrounded me, have been like the team of people around. I even say that about my own staff, you know, and, you know, Estelle, I mean, that was her first job in the music industry. That's where she got introductions and stuff. I don't sit there and, and gloat in it. I think, well, you know, never employing anybody to work for a record company does actually say a lot for me, but it also says the fact that neither did I have that experience when in 1974 I got paid £25 a week to sell folk mm. and jazz. But I went out every single day to prove that the guy who gave me that job, it was the best decision ever made. Yeah, And it is graciousness and it is humility. I used to work in a school. I, I was working with kids. And I remember thinking, I've got no qualification to work in the music industry. And I knocked on doors. And my joke was always, what experience have I got? Uh, I I've worked with children. I can work with artists. <laughs> it's like that was my gag, and that you know I got my foot in the door and I wouldn't take it out. And and they offered me something like five thousand pounds for my first job a year, and I was like, yes, all right, it's going crazy. 
but I, yeah, I felt like I had something to prove and I was so thankful that I was there that, you know, it took me a while to kind of go, actually, no, I'm good at this. And then the older I got, I don't really have as much problem going, I was really good back then. <laughs> I was so good because I, I was so hungry for it and passionate and driven. And yeah, and it wasn't about the money. It was about doing, you know, living the dream as it were and wanting to make a difference. But I do think the thing that, that, that's, that, that kind of resonates with you right through our conversation and the loyalty and also the fact that they remain human in as much as, you know, I mean, I, I don't know the guys, you know, but I don't think it's a show where you just come on and put on a performance and it's like, you know, then you go off to the rest of your life where you're an asshole. I would imagine the relationships that are longstanding that they've had with them almost just grow because what you what you probably don't appreciate i don't mean this in a condescending way is how you grow while they grow because i always say that with you too i was learning my trade when they were learning theirs you know they would come back to my place for a barbecue play with my kids you know i, I think the great thing about what i love about this is is getting to the the nitty-gritty of it and making these people real because yeah. you know that that that, that word rock star you know is so overused but it's not for me it's never about how many records you sell or or being adored by people it's about making a difference because you're in such an influential position that people will go the wrong way when you get to the level that Coldplay are everything's available but you don't need to go there you just need to be focused on do you know what I love what I'm doing I'm staying there and I'm going to be dedicated to it when you're in a band, you spend more time with a band than you do with your partner. Cause you know, invariably one will go off to work. The other might look after the kids or be stay at home person or whatever, but then you have time apart. You don't when you're on mm. tour. And if you're successful, mm. you don't tour for six months. You tour for like a couple of years. So very, very true. It had to be, cause I said it. You've been listening to Moments That Rock with me, Tony Michael. It's our guest today is Debs Wilde, who was on the programme, the podcast, a few weeks ago, sharing her experiences from discovering Coldplay and everything that happened uh, from there on in. So, we'll be back in a second to hear more from Debs. I've only done one tour and it was three and a half weeks or whatever, and it's that's even that's hard. But no, that's one good thing about them. They still love each other and get on. Like they're really close. And I've seen them get to that point where you're like, it wouldn't work otherwise. They, you know, they have to like each other and love each other and still really be best mates traveling the world together. And that's lovely to see. But going back to what you said as well, when they say, um, when they're like, thank you so much for Chris says it particularly, but they all do. Like, I'm so grateful for this life you've given us. And I went, uh, I'm grateful for the one you gave me. We've all experienced a completely different life because of us meeting and for whatever reason, but yeah. Now here's a yeah. $64,000 question. Was there ever a period where you thought Chris might have a solo career? Or was he no, always part I of asked him. I asked him in about 2002. Um, so context, I used to run their, I did a, an e-zine for them, like an official e-zine. And so I used to provide all the content. So I do interviews and photos and whatever snippets of news. And so it was on their website. And I interviewed him in a cafe in Primrose Hill. And I think I said something like, so, you know, if one day this isn't a thing anymore, would you go solo? He went, no, never, never. It's either this or nothing. Not doing that. And I think 
that he genuinely means that because I feel like it's Coldplay. It's not Chris Martin and three other guys. It's Coldplay. This is not stopping. You know what I mean? It's like they're already, and this isn't me blowing a secret because it's out there, um, they're already recording the next album, even though they're in the middle of a tour for the current one. You can even see on stage the way they interact with each other and the joy on their faces. You can tell they're having a great time still. And the way that, you know, Chris and Johnny are like best friends. They're like brothers, the four of them. If you say to Chris, oh, why did you go to UCL? You know, why did you pick that university? He would mostly say, oh, because I wanted to meet Johnny, Will and Guy. And when you ask him why, he went to meet them. Almost his destiny, you know, that he he knew that bands were formed at universities and he wanted to be in a band and, and then found them quite quickly and it all... Yeah, and it's even all of that is a lovely story, but you could talk for days about it. I don't subscribe to this pandering to egos at all. And especially in the early days, I think at least earn that right first. And then when you get there, then I'll tell you to stop doing it. But yeah, but, I think it's a hard thing to be propelled into that world if you, you don't know what it's going to be like. But you need people like you to say, no, no, no. This is Moments That Rock. I'm your host, Tony Michaelidis, and you are listening to part two of Deb's Wild. The lady who went out and found Coldplay, and they did pretty well. So we'll be back in a moment with more of the same. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I think that's the thing. When streaming came along and... and like one of my main reasons for getting in the music industry was Frankie Goes to Hollywood, followed by Prince became my absolute thing. And I remember when in 1988, Love Sexy came out, the album, and you put the CD on and it runs as one track because you didn't want you fast forwarding to track three or four. It's like, no, this is my album. This is how you should hear it. And I love that. I think it's the same on Spotify. Um, but now, of course, you can make your own compilations, you can do your own playlists. And I feel like that's the lost art of a great album is if you can't listen to an album all the way through, maybe it's not a great album or maybe I'm just being harsh, but it has it has changed, definitely. And I'm kind of embracing it. But I think, I'll tell you what I found. I got so disillusioned by all of it and very much in this Coldplay bubble, which is, like I say, a wonderful bubble to be in. And then last year I heard a band, funnily enough, I heard Inhaler, and straight after, I heard this band called Juno Dream and immediately fell in love. And it was almost like going back 25 years, going, oh, I forgot what this felt like. I've lot, Don't get me wrong, I've had a lot of great artists come my way in those 25 years who I've championed and helped and mentored and tried to do something with or tried to sign um, loads of them. But this one literally woke me up from what I felt was a dead zone of, yeah, this is just the music industry, I'm not interested, and literally went, oh, I've now got a new obsession. This, this band have reminded me what it felt like when I was 20-odd running around getting excited about music, and it's it hadn't happened. And I'm so grateful to still have those moments of going, there's some great music out there, some great bands, some great 
artists. Some of the things I can't even tell you what I do because they're yet to happen and some of it is confidential. But generally speaking, even down to like, I read all of their fan mail. It's my cross to bear because I set it up. I basically years ago went, do you know what we should have? We should have a contact form on the website. <laughs> so, so I went, well, I'll, I might as well run it. So I do. I Most of what I do, whether it's, uh, I don't do the content for social media, but I kind of police it, keep an eye on things. I, I deal with some heartbreak making stuff and some beautiful stuff and but most of my jobs the thread is I'm connected to the fans so I'm kind of like a middleman type anything from just fan mail to proper queries to really uh, sublime to the ridiculous and everything in between every day one of the joyful like today the first thing I did was look at last night's show in Milan and look at the pictures that were taken last night that have been approved already and I kind of tag them and look through them so I'm in charge of that a little bit. Sometimes I have to do that thing that people hate me for, I'm sure, is taking down illegal YouTube clips and stuff that shouldn't be on there. Do you think you would have had the resilience and the persistence yourself to keep going if you hadn't found that band so early in your career? Yeah, you know, I mean, I did carry on. Then by the time I thought, right, I'm going independent, I had three jobs. So I was working with Coldplay, I was scouting, I worked for V2, I worked for Windswept, I worked for Warners again, I worked for uh, Epitaph. So I always scouted a long while after where I suddenly did lose that that mojo. And I think it was just because I wasn't getting anything over the line. And then I met this band called Youth Group from Australia and they were amazing. I had to go over to America to, to get them signed to the label I was working for. And they were all hugging me going, thank you so much. This is our dream come true. And they played me this song and it was called Someone Else's Dream. And I heard it and thought, oh, maybe maybe I'm living someone else's dream. Maybe I'm not supposed to do this. Because if it doesn't keep happening at all these different labels, if my bosses continually don't sign and have success with the acts and bringing in, maybe I shouldn't be doing it. So I took that quite literally for quite a while and just thought, yeah, I'm just going to mentor people. So I started doing that for free. Um, you know, I should do because unsigned bands don't have any money and just starting to do it out of love and not as a career and then just doing other things. And I started writing scripts with my friends and, you know, thinking, yeah, I could do that. And then obviously did the book, which didn't sell because we had the word unofficial on the front. So the publishers weren't, yeah, not interested in helping you with that. Over time, it's the fan part of me that can't stop. So I think that would have always been the thing pushing me going, like like I say, Juno Dream don't need me. They don't need me in their life at all. They're doing very well, thank you very much. But I want to help them because I've got this love and passion to see them succeed. If you need anything or want anything, I'll do what I can. Do you know what I mean? And if that's just to tell people about it, that's that's it. So I'm sure you've come across this, where there's been bands that have left by the wayside that should have made it or could have made it, or maybe they gave up because it wasn't happening. Or And you just think, what a travesty, because that band were really great. And I got in touch with one the other day. I went, please send me a link to that song I used to obsess over. And they did. And I listened to it in the dark with my headphones on the other day. And I just got transported back to like 1999 going, oh, this band was so good. And you kind of feel that, yeah, all those ones that didn't quite make it and think it's so tough. It's so hard. And, you know, you, that, I used to, you know, my heart would break for all the, those times as well. I get a lot of resistance from a lot of artists that, that were just anti the industry yet needed it. And I was almost a bit like that. 
you know I can't create I wish I could but I definitely wanted to be more on their side and help them and nurture it do you have favorite Coldplay songs that have been influenced by particular moments that you remember that performance and that yeah. song and that audience yeah 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 and I always Share. come back to this one song I always pick politics always and there's kind of three reasons it was the opener on a rush of blood to the head and what an opener and therefore it was the tour opener so it's the first song everybody heard on the main stage at glastonbury when they headlined for the first time and the album wasn't even out and i was in the middle of the crowd it's kind of cool to be side of stage but if you're going to hear that song and be in the field with the people and i heard politic and the flashing lights and all of that and then it evolved to me where not only was it the big tour opener and pounding and just amazing, but then it became a song that Chris knew it was my favourite. It was kind of his favourite at the time. And he used to change the lyrics. So there was a lyric in it would be, give Debs a kiss, he'd say. And I'd always be wherever I was in the world going, that's me, that is, that's me. Just to myself going, that's me. And it's been on like, you know, I get fan mail myself going, oh, Woo, we heard your shout out last night. And apparently on the second night in Manchester, after he'd done that lovely thing that you you know about, um, he did it again the next night. And I was there again and heard it and thought, oh, that's sweet. And then somebody said, oh, did you hear your shout out, Sky Full of Stars? And I went, no. He said, oh, he said, this is for our first fan, Debs. And I went, I didn't hear that. <laughs> There's so many I miss. But I get quite a few of them occasionally for whatever reason, I'll just pop into his head. But politic, I was on tour in Mexico on cannon firing confetti duties. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. <laughs> and every night before that song where I'd be fluffing the butterflies in this confetti box, he would say, give Deb's kiss. And I was like, yeah. And, and it always then became my song. So that song for wherever I'm in the world or wherever I hear it, that it's got lots of different memories, but it's, it's just my song. So yeah, that one. And then, Bigger, stronger, because it was the first song I ever heard on a demo that 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 changed mine and their life, I would say. But yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, madame. Oh, thank you so it's... much for inviting me. It was no, fun. It's, I've really enjoyed it. It's been great talking. I don't think I've spoken as much on, um, you know, on my own podcast. So shame on me. Um, no, it's good. Good luck with your thank next you. thing. <laughs> thank you very much. And there you have it. You've been listening to Debs Wild, who discovered Coldplay, talking about the history of the band from when she found them. We'll be back next week with more Moments That Rock. I am, and always will be, your host, Tony Michaelidis. And we are part of the excellent Pantheon group of podcasts. See you next time.